and welcome to The Alchemical Mind. Now, I'm going to preface this episode by saying that I have recorded this particular episode. This is my third time. And, and there's a reason for that, because the inspiration for this episode is actually a podcast episode that I listened to, I don't know, about a month, maybe a little over a month ago, that really got me down this path of thinking, how is it that we can determine what is it is not true? Now, this is not some kind of ultimate truth thing, so this episode, unlike many other episodes of the podcast, is a little more down-to-earth, a little more day-to-day. And uh, this is actually uh, one of the things that my wife and I often talk about because she often asks me, what's the practical use of anything that you're talking about? And so we're going to take some of the stuff that I usually talk about and put it to practical use. And so this is going to be part of a series, and I have decided to like interperse it between the, uh, the Gnostic Studies episode because, to be honest, the topic that we're going to be diving into is really tied into Gnosticism and to finding truth and wisdom. Because one of the things that we're not taught in school, maybe until much later into college, is critical thinking. And, and I always posit that critical thinking should be a, a key skill that is taught in school from very early on. But of course, the problem with teaching people critical thinking is that, well, we'll be honest, People in power don't generally want people that are able to think critically because, of course, that's an issue. It causes issues with their own personal power. And it could mean that, you know, somebody will have the knowledge and wherewithal to maybe call them out on their BS. So this series is going to be entitled The Bullshit Detector or something like that. I haven't decided yet. And I don't usually cuss in the podcast, but you know what? That's basically what it is. So we'll call a spade a spade. Maybe we'll call it something a little more transcendental, like uh, you know, the key to finding truth or something like that. I see, uh, I see words like that used a lot, and, and that ties in directly into this BS detection. Of course, the inspiration behind this whole thing is uh, Carl Sagan's baloney detector kit, and I'm not going to call it the baloney detector kit because uh, we're going to dive a little bit deeper than just that. But Balloon Detection will be the first part of this series, so I will be talking about Carl Sagan's idea of the Baloney Detection Kit in this episode. And then when I do part two, and most likely part three, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the specific things that we can look for, traits and characteristics of people that try to sell you bullshit, and also the philosophical fallacies that we can fall into when we are trying to explain an argument that really is just bullshit. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to play a little clip of the episode that inspired this series. Enjoy it. Let's start with the term darkness real quick, because in order to understand adrenal chrome, okay, we have to look at the term darkness that's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, because that term quickly, darkness, gentlemen, it comes from two Persian interpretations. Dark in Persian means Adrenoch, capital A-D-R-E-N-O-C-H. Notice the last five letters of Enoch. That's where we get the term Enochian, like Enochian keys, which is the language of the occult. Then the term Ness then comes from a second 
uh, Persian word, uh, intermingled into Latin, and that term is Romulus or Rome. So adrenochrome or Romulus Rome represents not just a part of the uh, human anatomy, which the deep state uh, wants to stay young because they want to extract that element, that chemical compound from our bodies. But the term Enochian, which is encoded in the term adrenochrome, uh, represents the language of the occult. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that short clip. Uh, what podcast it's from, who the speaker is, is completely irrelevant. Um, and this is part of the reason why I've done this episode multiple times. And and I, I'm hoping that this third and final time of me recording this episode is a little more in tune with how I like to do this podcast. Because uh, I'll be perfectly honest, when I first heard the episode that the clip is taken from, I was enraged by the level of falsehoods. And I actually commented on Twitter a little bit. Uh, I was actually fairly nice and reserved in my comment on Twitter. Because, uh, you know, the problem is when you dive into a lot of deep, esoteric, and mystical topics... It is it is very easy to fall off the bandwagon, and and for all of you that believe in a, a grander conspiracy involving uh, elites stealing brain juice from children and other folks, uh, that's basically what a creednochrome is. Uh, that's fine. This is not an attack on anybody, uh, and this is why I decided to re-record this episode multiple times because I I don't believe attacking anybody that spreads this kind of information is useful in actually talking about the subject. And ultimately, the authority for figuring out what is and is not true lies within yourself. So who am I to tell you that this person is full of garbage? Maybe you believe that this person is 100% correct, and that's totally fine. We should be able to live in a world where we can all respect each other's opinions and not worry so much about, uh, you know, whether something is or isn't true, and, and hold it so firmly that we can't talk about these issues. Uh, in fact, I just, uh, I just posted a fascinating interview on, uh, on Twitter. It's from Graham Hancock's YouTube channel, and it's an interview with Tim Freak, who did the translation for uh, the Hermetica episode, that, uh, uh, the series of episodes that I did recently. He was one of the translators for that. Uh, I was actually looking. He's done a lot of translations for a lot of books that I own. Uh, in fact, the Upanishads uh, version that I have in my in my library was also uh, translated. One of the translators was Tim Freak, and of course, he's he's a fascinating person. He's a, a very deep thinker, uh, a little materialistic, of course. And if you listen to the podcast, you know I like to go a little bit deeper into the spiritual because I find that to be more important. But, uh, but the interesting thing about the guy is that even though he is a materialist thinker, he does see the value in a spiritual connection. And he actually argues quite deeply in this interview about uh, the importance of going beyond science right now. Right? We've gone from a purely spiritual tradition to a purely materialistic tradition, and there has to be something coming next that is something better than both. And uh, and I like his outlook. He's he's very positive, and and I I can appreciate that, because in in many ways he's been studying this stuff for for decades, and he understands it. 
And so I do recommend you you find that tweet. I will put a link of it in the show notes because it does relate quite deeply to this whole uh, idea of Gnosticism that we're exploring right now because the core tenet of the interview is his new book, The Jesus Mysteries, uh, which dives quite deep into uh, Jesus not necessarily being a historical figure, but rather a a mythical figure in a new light uh, coming down from a tradition stemming hundreds if not thousands of years before the rise of Christianity and, and he does dive a little bit into uh, different mystery schools and different Gnostic schools because of course the Gnostics are very mystic and, and very esoteric and, and mysterious and I, I recommend the book the book's fantastic uh, from from what I've seen and uh, the guy is just amazing so uh, check out that interview but but one of the things that uh, is important as we dive into this is how do we figure out what is and isn't true, right? Because when I posted this, of course, it's very easy for someone to say, well, freak's full of crap because, uh, you know, he thinks Jesus is not a real figure. Of course, Jesus was a real figure, this, that, and the other. And, and what I always try to argue, and what I mentioned in the previous episode when I talked about the Gospel of Thomas, is that we get a little too bogged down by these things. And, and the person really is completely irrelevant to what the message is, right? And, and that's something that I think modern Christianity has forgotten, that very early Christian sects were very much aware of, that whether the fact that Jesus is or is not of divine origin is irrelevant, what matters is the message and how that helps us get to whatever we're trying to achieve, right? Nirvana, enlightenment, kingdom of heaven, any of these terms that we like to use. This is true for any tradition, right? So it's not just purely a Christian thing. It relates to the Buddha, whether he was a real person or not is irrelevant. Uh, you know, whether, you know, there's, these things happen all the time. Right? I remember, uh, you know, reading about Troy. I've always been fascinated with mythology and, and growing up and always hearing that, you know, Troy is just BS, uh, even though there was a scientist that actually found the city of Troy. And uh, I was reading something recently about uh, they, they have discovered the kingdom where King Midas uh, would have been located. That's really interesting because, you know, that's kind of one of those uh, stories that seems would be completely preposterous to be a reality, right? This, this guy that basically anything he touches turns to gold. And, uh, you know, the, the thing we always forget is that all mythology really is based on some truth. Right, all mythologies are half truths, and we'll talk about half truths in in the second part of this episode, uh, which will be out, I guess, probably about this time next week. Now, with that said, this is the reason why in this iteration of this episode, I am not mentioning who the speaker of this little bit of audio that I posted in here is, or what podcast it came from, because it doesn't really matter. What matters is the message behind it. And, and the reason that it got me a little upset, and I'm no longer upset about it, I kind of got over it, is the, the level of, of misinformation. Okay? And I don't really care if you, know, you believe or don't believe in these elite, elite adrenochrome cult thing. Uh, you know, that, whatever. Irrelevant to the conversation. But the point is that the argument is being made using language to prove a certain point, a certain theory that this person has, a certain idea, and, and the way that they're doing it seems very convincing. I mean, I only posted a very short clip, so you know, some of you may already immediately pop up with your baloney detectors 
and automatically see the problems with some of the things that are being said. But one thing that I always talk about is language, and language is very important, and symbols are very important. And that's all that language is. That's all language is, right? Because none of the things that you ever describe with language are actually the real thing. You're just using symbols. You're describing symbols with other symbols. That's why you always hear in, in every tradition that there's no way for you to describe or name God. There's no name for God. I mean, sure, people find names to put onto it. But especially when you go into mystical circles, there's always this thing of like the hidden name of God. The thing that you cannot know. Right? Because if you knew it, you would die. And why would that happen? Because if you know the name of God, that means that you are God. And if you are God, then you don't need to have a physical existence because you're all of existence. This is how the... The, the, the thinking goes, right? It's all very simple, but it's all veiled in secret and mystery. Now, when this person started talking about adrenochrome, and I still listen to this podcast, by the way. I, I was going to take a little break, and I did. I didn't listen for a couple weeks. Then I came back, and I think maybe it jaded me a little bit by having this person do some just blatant manipulation of facts to present an argument. And I have heard this person on this podcast before. And it was fine. Like, I mean, the, the story was a little outrageous, but, you know, it seemed at least like a fun thing to listen to. This one just did not because there were so many stretches being made. And, you know, one of the things that's talked about on here is, uh, you know, this, this word darkness coming from two different roots, right? Dark and, and ness and, and the mental gymnastics that are performed in order to get this word darkness to have some kind of connection to adrenochrome and the roman empire which of course is preposterous because the two are not related i mean if you want to go down this path of, of finding information out this way you can make literally anything you want mean anything you want and that's why some of these charlatans end up getting a platform because people are either too stupid or too lazy to know any better and to do their own research oh well this guy's a He's a doctor or whatever. He's a scientist. That's uh, what's what's the guy from Egypt? Sahih was. That's always his argument, right? I'm a scientist, and so they put themselves in places of authority. They have some fancy title, and of course, people believe it because of that. All you need is a title, and you need to sound like you know what you're talking about. And chances are, 50% of people will believe you. I mean, I could do that too. Technically, I'm a reverend. I don't come on here and saying, hey, I, you know, welcome to the Comical Mind. I'm Reverend Martin. It's preposterous. It doesn't matter if I'm a reverend or not, but I could easily use that. Do I? No, because I don't care to. All I'm here to do is talk about things, get, get some thoughts flowing in my mind, try to work these things out for myself, and maybe one person or two people or, fortunately enough, thousands of people now listen to the podcast and start thinking about some of these things. That's all I care about. I don't care to be right or wrong. I'm not here to sell you a book or you know some kind of course, uh, some mindfulness training, meditation sessions, uh, an audio tape. I don't care about any of that stuff. I mean, would I like to do some of that stuff in the future? Sure. But it's not my main focus. My focus is just getting some of these thoughts out. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this a little bit more. Because one thing that you should always have in your tool belt, and one thing that I never hear anybody talk about, it's so weird. All these smart people talking about educating yourself, gaining more knowledge, finding out what's true, learning that you're it. Nobody ever talks about Carl Sagan's book. And I find that really interesting. 
Carl Sagan's book, by the way, is called The Demon Hunted World, Signs of the Candle in the Dark. Highly recommend you read it. I've always been a fan of Carl Sagan. Uh, I don't uh, I don't agree, of course, with a lot of Carl Sagan's views, but I do think he was a smart guy who had some good things to say. And just because he's a, a deeply materialistic, physical, world-based person does not mean that the things that he believes in and the methodology he uses is not something that can be used if you're more of a spiritual person. I think that's that's part of the problem that we fall into. That we feel like because we're trying to achieve more and look inside, that we can't look to people that purely live on the facts of what they see and observe through you know, the scientific method and others. That's a fallacy. Don't let anyone tell you that. It's bullshit. Remember, there are no right or wrong ways to look at things. And the only way for you to make a more informed decision is to have more and more knowledge. And that doesn't mean cherry-picking to only be knowledge that you agree with. It doesn't mean if, you, if you're a Christian, you only read Christian books. You only read the Bible. If you're a Muslim, you only read the Quran. I know this is especially important with Muslims. Because if it's not in the Quran, it doesn't exist, basically, for a lot of Muslims, at least fundamentalist Muslims. This is true of Jews and Buddhists, Manichaeans, of, you know, what, whatever you are. It doesn't matter. Pick, pick something. I'm just, I'm just cherry-picking major world religions because that's easier. If you want to pick something smaller like, uh, I don't know, the OTO or Om Shinrikyo, whatever. Whatever it is that you believe in. You can't just stick with that. And we'll, we're going to do a series on, on cult mentality as part of this whole series of Gnosticism. And as part of this series on learning what the truth is and how to determine the truth and how to determine what is just complete bullshit. Because you can't find that. You can't find that. This is not some like weird, esoteric, mysterious, magical thing. you got to remember, the mysteries are just information hidden and coded in deep symbolic language but it's information that we can use on an everyday basis we forget that because we focus so much on mystical experience and yes the mystical experience is important it teaches you a lot it teaches me a lot i've talked about it i've done i did two episodes two hour and a half two hour long episodes on on just that on two of my own personal mystical experiences if you want to go listen to those you can find them it's uh the meditation retreat episode in which i went into the woods for several days had a great time learned a lot about myself and the world and then the psychedelic uh, trip report episode that was i think immediately after that so of course mystical experience is important but but we are still living in this world and whatever your view of the world is is irrelevant you still need to live in it whether you think it's a purely physical materialistic thing or you feel like it's a purely spiritual thing or you feel like it's some demiurge creating some illusion or whatever creating an illusion or you yourself creating this illusion or a computer simulation creating this illusion or it just being one of multiple universes it's all irrelevant it's all irrelevant these are all simply concepts of imagination they are not reality Always remember that. Whatever your worldview is and how the world is created and why it's here, why it exists, irrelevant. Imagination. That's another topic that I've kind of hinted at a little bit. We're going to dive into that fairly soon. It's all imagination. The reality of it is 
that however it comes about, you still need to live in it. You still need to know how to be a freaking human being. And most of us have no idea. That's why we go into these different traditions. Because the way that we're raised doesn't feel like something that actually teaches us anything. It doesn't teach us anything. It just takes us on this path that's been already taken. It's a safe way to do it. And so we continue to do it. No tradition teaches critical thinking unless you go into the mysteries. Because only in the mysteries is when you learn to have critical thinking. Because it requires that want, that need to get to that place before you can get that secret knowledge. And the funny thing is, the secret knowledge isn't secret. It's all common sense. But we, as human beings, are just simply too stupid. We just don't care. We just don't care. That's all it is. We don't care. All we want is safety. That's all we want is safety. We want to be safe, not to get hurt, not to die. Very simple. That's all we care about. We think we're some super smart, advanced species creating technology. We can go into space. We can go underwater. We can fly. We can shoot lasers. Pew, 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 whatever you want to do. That's what we think. But deep down inside, all we simply are is monkeys. We're still just primates. And the majority of us simply live purely by instinct. You know, when I started doing this podcast, I did a whole many episodes on mindfulness. And I'm going to do an entire series on mindfulness. Okay, we'll do, we'll do a mindfulness course on the podcast. Okay, it'll be freely available. Don't you worry. There will be no strings attached. We're going to do a mindfulness series. But we're not there yet. But I have talked a lot about it about mindfulness, about meditation, and about how you shouldn't get too tied down with thinking it's a purely Eastern thing, if you're a Christian or Western, and most listeners of the podcast are. Don't get tied down by that. It's irrelevant. That's imagination. The reality is, is that this is one of the secrets. It's one of the mysteries. There's nothing special about being mindful. The problem is, we never think. We never have a mind. We think we're so smart, but we don't have a mind. We don't walk through life mindfully. I guarantee you, until I ask you, are you alive? Are you thinking? Are you conscious? You never think about it. And why is that? Because you're not. You're not. We think we're so smart, but we're not. We're not. We have this false illusion in our minds that we were so intelligent. We're better than other species. This, that, and the other. Whatever, whatever fallacy you want to put into yourself about what it means to be human. But most people don't think about any of these things. And if you don't think about them, then how can you be those things? You know, it's one of, the, one of the mystical sayings, and there's different ways of saying this. I'm going to paraphrase it so it fits into multiple traditions. It's something to the effect of, how can you talk about God when you don't know what it's like to be God? And what it's like to be God is to not look at any of those things in any particular point of view, but to look at them from all perspectives. Because this is what it is. God emanates all perspectives, and those things come into being as physical objects, as you and me and my, my glass of water here and my phone and a rock outside as my house, as my dogs, whatever, as your cat. Got to get the cat in there. People love cats. And so, of course, when you brace these things in symbolic language, they come off as some magical thing. Because, I mean, it is. It technically, literally is magic. The whole entire universe is magic. But just because it's magic doesn't mean that it's not real, that it's not here, that it's not constantly happening, or that it makes it be different from some sort of physical place, some sort of reality. So when people think, well, how is any of this practical? They don't view it as practical because they don't understand. They don't appreciate the mystery that's encoded 
within these things. And so I can come here and say, well, yes, darkness comes from two Persian words, whatever, this, that, and the other, and somehow find a way to make it mean adrenochrome. And the problem is you can do this with any two things. I mean, it'd be just like me saying, um, oh, man, I don't know. What, what can I say? Somebody that hates this podcast can be like, oh, the alchemical mind. Yes, mind. Mind ends with D, and demon starts with D. That means that Martin's a demon. The end. The podcast is evil. I mean, it's, you can say that. It doesn't make it any less true or not true. It's a preposterous argument. Just like this. Because who's going to look up the Persian word for dark? Nobody's going to look it up. I mean, unless you're Persian, you probably don't even know where to start looking it up. I guess you can go to your library. You can go to Google or whatever you do and look them up. Most people don't know anything about etymologies, how to look up etymologies. How do you even break down words? This is one of the most important courses that I took in high school, I remember. Greek and Latin roots, one of my favorites. It was taught by, uh, by my German teacher. I, I took German for five years in school and uh, always had the same professor. He was fantastic. Really smart man. Introduced me to a lot of great things, uh, including uh, Goethe and, and opera and all kinds of things, which, of course, is deeply tied to the German culture. And he also taught this uh, Greek and Latin roots course, which, uh, you know, our school, I went to private school, and our school recommended that uh, we take it in order to prepare for SATs. Uh, by the way, before anyone says anything, I did not pay for the school. I was on a scholarship uh, for, for the school. I think my parents paid, uh, I don't even know, it was like three or $400 a year. Tuition for the school was like, uh, back then it was like 15000 I think. I'm sure it's much more now. So I was I was very fortunate to have a great education that uh, that allowed me to foster critical thinking. But, you know, most people don't have that that luxury. That's fine. That's what we're doing this. That's what we're talking about this stuff. But anyway, so we we had to take this course. I mean, we didn't have to, but it was recommended, right? Because if you if you understand the Greek and Latin roots of words, you can break down their meaning just by looking at them. You don't need to actually have a definition you can kind of figure out where this word comes from. And you can find how words can change over time, right? This is, uh, this is one of the, the linguistic fields is, uh, you know, like language families, for example. And uh, because most of the world, well, I don't know about most, but a large part of the world is, uh, is based on the, the Indo-European language family. We can talk about that a little bit because there's similarities between all kinds of languages. I mean, some are obvious, right? Like Spanish and Italian. Pretty obvious they come from a common source. You know, English and German eh, makes sense. It's actually part of the reason why I took German, in order to be better versed in the English language. Kind of figure it out, right? There's a lot of similarities. German has a much deeper grammatical structure that English has lost. You can figure it out. But then what about some influences that aren't quite as obvious? You can figure those differences out just by simply understanding word changes, sound changes, the evolution of language. So if you've never done a course like this, I highly recommend it. You don't need to go deeply versed into linguistics. Just take a, take a, a roots course. Not only that, but it will help you figuring out other languages as well. Right? Because even though you know, Greek and Latin might not help you necessarily in learning you know, Hindi or Sanskrit, but they do stem from a common source. So there may be words that you can kind of figure out on your own just by looking at them. But anyway, so what I'm here to tell you is darkness have nothing to do with adrenochrome or Romulus. And of course, that should be perfectly obvious to you if you have any kind of common sense. 
And I assume if you listen to this podcast, you have a little bit of common sense. But how do you determine if what I'm telling you is true? Okay? All right, fine. Martin, you're saying that this guy is full of crap in saying this. How do I know you're not full of crap? That's, that's a very fair assumption. So let's talk about the actual baloney detection kit. Like I, like I said, Carl Sagan was very much a materialist. But it doesn't mean we can't use this to figure things out on our own. Now, because he is purely a materialist, there are some aspects of this baloney detection kit that you need to be weary of and you need to kind of adapt into yourself in a way that makes sense because some of these things may not fit very well with how you try to determine whether a spiritual belief or a quote or something like this uh, can be translated into is this true or not. With material logic, it's very easy. You can easily use that. But when you start getting into a little more philosophical concepts, into esoteric concepts, it may not necessarily work exactly like you want it when you use this method. And for the simple reason is that this is basically an adaptation of the scientific method. And one thing that I've always said is that even things that are deeply, purely spiritual should be able to be placed on a bench, on a lab table, and examined in a way that you can either prove or disprove it. Now, how you do those things is completely up to you. Because if I come on here and say, I know for a fact that there's a God, you can easily say, well, that's preposterous. How can you prove that for sure? You've never seen God. You've never touched God. You never talked to God. And of course, part of the problem here stems because of purely the, the baggage behind the word God. And that there's no better word, so I always keep coming back to it, right? I tried to use the source for a couple episodes. It just doesn't work. It's not quite the same. It doesn't have the same power. But fine, let's go with source. And I could easily go through talking to you about how I don't need to touch or see or feel God because I've had direct experience with it. And if you can say easily, well, that's preposterous. How could you have direct experience with God? I don't see why that's preposterous. People have this direct experience all the time. And there is no other way to experience the source aside from direct experience. Right? Because part of the scientific method involves us creating a consensus opinion. And that's what we deem as quote-unquote true. But of course, consensus changes. And this is why truth changes all the time. That's why when I, whenever I bring up, uh, you know, there's no such thing as truth, there's no such thing as good or good, such a thing as evil, I always get a little comment here and there from somebody or a little email asking what I mean or how I can say that that's so stupid, it's preposterous. It's not at all. That's the reality of things. You're just simply thinking in concepts and imagination. These things don't actually exist, right? So anyways, I could not prove to you that God exists, but I can prove to myself that God exists. And ultimately, by my logic, if I make my reality, then if I feel like that is true, then that's the truth. And so I can go through mental exercises and try to work out how something is or isn't true. And to me, that is just as valid as performing a scientific experiment. And anybody can do this, but the thing is you have to have the groundwork laid out for you. You have to understand the symbology. And most people can't do this. And so you end up with some of these philosophical issues that we'll talk about in a later part of the series. All right, so let's talk about the baloney detection kit. Because we we're, you know, we're 30 minutes into this right now, 40 minutes into this, and we haven't even talked about the baloney detection kit. 
But we have because we've kind of gone over how to determine these things. And the balloon detection kit is a nine-part kit, nine-part toolkit. Part one, wherever possible, there must be independent confirmation of the facts. And facts are in quotes, of course. And this is, of course, very important in science because anybody can say anything. Just like anybody within, you know, new age or alternative, uh, alternative circles can say whatever they want. But can anybody else confirm that fact? I can confirm the fact that darkness does not come from Persian words and has nothing to do with adrenochrome or, or, or Romulus. But, you know, maybe you look it up and you find that it does. So you are an, inter an, an independent confirmation of facts. All right, fair enough. So now you have two people that have independently confirmed this fact. Does it make it true? Does that make it true? Well, of course not. Because what if these two people are working together? Okay. You see this a lot with, uh, oh man, you know, when you do like studies on, uh, on tobacco or, you know, whatever. Tobacco is not harmful. It's ridiculous. It's perfectly safe. Sponsored by the American Tobacco Association, right? You got to be aware of these things. This happens all the time. All the time. It happens in politics. It happens in science. It happens in your school. In your workplace, it happens everywhere. Gossip. But when you say it with authority, it sounds nice, right? So, you know, okay, this is a, a good first step. Finding somebody else that confirms this information. Still does not make it true. But if more than one person is saying it, okay, maybe there's, there's some, some attribute to it that is worth looking at. Then part two, encourage substantive debate on the evidence by knowledgeable proponents of all points of view. Now, this is very important. This is key. This is key because it's all points of view, not just that one. Okay, we already established that Joe Schmo agrees, believes in this thing, and Mary Smith also agrees with Joe. Cool. Now, what does what does Peter have to say about it? Peter thinks that Joe and Mary are full of crap. That's important. We've talked. We've been talking about this for at least a half dozen episodes, if not the entire podcast, whatever episode we're on, thirty something. We've been talking about this the whole time. You have to be able to have in your mind the openness to allow all thoughts and opinions and to look at them and be non-judgmental. This is the key of mindfulness, to look at something and be non-judgmental because we all have our biases. I guess the plural of that is biases. We all have our biases. And that's fine. That's human nature. But part of getting into this deep, esoteric, mystical work is to... Start transcending some of these things that make us human. It doesn't mean you become less human. It becomes you become more human because then you truly understand what you are. Right now, we have no idea. We want to get to a place where we have some clue as to what the hell we're doing here. When you try to figure out if something is true or not for yourself, you need to say, okay, this is the argument for, this is the argument against. You used to see this in, uh, oh God, what was it? I can't remember. I took a course once, I remember, that we had – this was part of the thing. And it might have been – maybe it was a psychology course that I took. I don't know. But we had to do – you know, you always got to do these pros and cons lists. And we do this on a daily basis. We just don't realize that we do this on a daily basis. And the thing is, most of the time when we do this, we're not actually doing it. And I'm, let me get to that in a second. You're presented with decisions every day, and you have to make a choice. Do I go to work or do I stay home? That's a choice you make every day. For most of you, the choice is simple. You, you don't even think about it. You just go to work because you have to go to work because you have to make money, because you have to support your family, because you have to 
buy food and you have to pay your rent and your mortgage or your car or whatever, the vacation that's coming up, anything like this. It's fine. But ultimately, there is a decision. You could wake up at any point of the day, or any day really, and say to yourself, I'm not going to work today. You could do that. You choose not to because, of course, that's that's a actually harder decision to make, believe it or not. Even though you always say, oh, my God, I'm so overworked. I want to stay home. You never think, well, why don't I just stay home? Did you ever think about that? Most people don't because you don't make decisions on a day-to-day basis. You're, you're, you're automatic. You're living purely on instinct. And so you have to look at both sides and look at them, really look at them, really look at them. When you're presented with information and one answer fits more with your belief system and the other one does not, the odds are that you will pick the one that fits closer to your belief system. It's human nature. It's a survival technique. Of course, you want to continue agreeing with the information that you're familiar with because that's your worldview. And if you find that information does not agree with your worldview, then that means your whole life is a lie. And of course, you don't want that. You're here to exist. And if your life is a lie, what are you going to do? See, so this is why people fall into these fallacies of believing bullshit. Because at their core, their life is based on bullshit. And they don't, a lot of people don't know any better. Don't know any better. It's not like a conscious decision. Most people, I mean, there are some that do, but most people don't wake up and say to themselves, today, I'm going to be completely deluded. I'm going to base my life on complete falsehoods. Nobody says that. Nobody says that. But it starts somewhere. There's a root. There's a root. There's something that happens, something that you're taught, because, of course, all these things are taught, that leads you down a specific path. And once you're indoctrinated into this path, the only way for you to continue forward is to continue on this path. Because if you swerve from the path, everything that you've done before is bullshit, and you cannot believe that your life is bullshit. Common sense. Of course, there are people that understand that their life is bullshit, And try to do something about it. And so you need to be able to get to a place within yourself where you're able to make this decision. At any point in your life, you should be able to say, this particular belief is bullshit. How can I make it better? Because all life is, is evolution. All the universe is, is evolution. And I'm not talking about Darwin and natural selection, any of that stuff. In many respects, natural selection is bullshit. I mean, you're, you're taught it a certain way in school to make it seem like that's the only way the world works. And of course, people get upset because it doesn't fit a creationist point of view. And that's fine. I would argue that both sides are wrong. But part of the reason that we get into this debate is because we're not taught the reality of how the world works. I talked about this, uh, whatever episode that was, a couple episodes ago, when I was talking about E equals MC squared. E equals MC squared does not mean what you were taught in school. Just like Evolution does not mean what you were taught in school. Natural selection is not the only aspect of evolution. But everyone gets so bogged down by this Darwinism versus creationism thing, they forget what is at the core of the argument. Now, there is natural selection, but this only works on a macro scale, on the small scale. It doesn't work on the big scale, and people often forget this. To be honest, the problem is, when you're learning about these things, science doesn't want to say, well, all right, Fine. Darwin's partially bullshit. Because we just don't know. That's the problem we have with most of these things. Not just science. It happens in philosophy and religion all the time. We just don't know, so let's just throw a turtle in there. And we'll just go turtles all the way down. And turtles all the way up. This is why I keep bringing up the turtles. Because I love the turtles. 
I also love the Ninja Turtles. Let me just, I'll be up front. I've always had. Maybe that's why I like this Turtles analogy. It's Turtles all the way down because we just, sometimes we can't admit that we just don't know. And wouldn't it be easier to just say that? We just don't know. And maybe people wouldn't come up with some bullshit explanation. And then we wouldn't have people thinking, oh, well, they're hiding the truth from us. Of course people are going to think that because you are, because you don't know and you pretend like you do. So just say that you don't know. But you have to have both point of view. And you have to be able to analyze them and be truthful with yourself. That's part of the problem. We don't want to be truthful with ourselves. So if you analyze a point of view that disagrees with what we believe in, we just toss it aside. And then we just continue on this path where we don't think. We're not mindful. We just keep walking down the path. Number three, arguments from authority carry little weight. Authorities have made mistakes in the past. They will do so again in the future. Perhaps a better way to say it is that in science there are no authorities. At most there are experts. This is brilliant. I did a, what, three-part series on authority? Why you are the ultimate authority and you shouldn't believe anybody else's bullshit? Here we are coming back to that. Because this is true. There are no authorities. I mean, there are people that know more than others about certain topics. But nobody knows everything about a particular topic. Even Einstein didn't know everything about physics. He didn't even know everything about his own theory. That's what we're still talking about and try to figure it out 100 years later. Well, 100 plus years later. Because even he did not know what it meant. This is why when we talked about in the Gospel of Thomas last episode, if you haven't listened, go check it out, please, because it ties into this whole topic. When Thomas calls Jesus teacher, you are a teacher, Jesus gets mad. Because the whole point of being a Gnostic, of seeking truth within yourself, is to understand that there are no teachers. We're all teachers, and we're all students at the same time. So there are no authorities. And in science specifically, and of course organized religion specifically, which Sagan didn't believe in organized religion, as I don't either, if that's not obvious yet. So we have something in common there. But there are no authorities. And if somebody tells you that they're the authority, if they're the way to get you to the truth, they're full of shit. True for scientists and for gurus and for preachers and monks and bishops and popes and anybody. Bullshit. All they can do is give you guidance. And then you decide for yourself, is that guidance true or not? But again, look at it from all points of view, not just the one. Because if you look at it from the one, you just continue going in the same direction. That's why when I decided, when, when I, in my senior year, is when all, all this started, senior in high school, I think I've told the story actually before. I wanted to take a, a world religion course. And I talked to my dad. And my dad said, well, you know, talk to a preacher. And my dad was a preacher, but it was like, you know, a hierarchy. So he's like, okay. So I talked to his preacher. And his preacher's like, I don't think that's a good idea. Aren't you happy being in the place that you're at? I'm sure. I mean, yeah, I was. But I wanted to know more. I wanted to know if there were more perspectives. If I could be happier and better if I need more perspectives. And for a long time, the answer was no, because you, know, you get into this dark night of the soul, which we'll get to at some point, and you, you feel so lost that you believe in nothing until all of a sudden you just, you believe in everything. I believe in, look, if my kids asked me today, I feel so bad. Because if my kids asked me today if Santa was real, I would tell them, hell yeah, Santa is real. Although I did kind of tell them that. When my, when my kid asked me, my answer was, do you feel like Santa's real? And she said no. And I said, well, then Santa's not real. And then the other one was in the car. And she's like, well, I think Santa's real. And I said, all right, then Santa's real. Spin more than one hypothesis. If there's something to be explained, think of all the different ways in which it could be explained. Now, this is kind of going to the next level, right, from, from point two. 
not only are you looking at multiple points of view, but you look at multiple ways of looking at each of these different points of view. This is very hard because it requires deep thinking. This requires, I wish I had a, a drum roll sound effect. It requires meditation, contemplation, prayer, however you want to, whatever word you want to use is what it requires. And of course, this is very hard because are you, are you implying, Martin, that I just need to sit down and think about every decision that I make every single day? Of course not. That's stupid. If you had to sit down and think about every decision that you have to make every single day, you would do nothing. All you'd be doing is thinking about <laughs> what you're going to do next. But you can get to a place where this, this whole experience is instinctive and natural. You know, the Zen Buddhists have a, a great way of looking at this. There's, there's a Zen koan, a Zen story that I really love, where there's a master and some, some of his students are in a, in a monastery and uh, that they're meditating and all of a sudden it starts raining and there's a hole in the ceiling of the, the monastery and it starts raining down into the floor and uh, and the master immediately he's like everybody run get something to stop this this rain from hitting the ground and all the students scatter and the first one to come back is a guy he's got a sieve and he puts it under where the rain is falling you know different students come back and have different things of course they look for something like a bucket and in the end, the student that the master's happiest with is the student that brought the sieve and not the one that brought the bucket. He's the one that really understood the Zen teachings. And why is that? Because the student didn't think about what was right or wrong. It's just immediate action. Whereas the rest of them try to think, well, if I get this object, then this will happen. If I get this object, this will happen. And you think to yourself, well, that's stupid. Of course you want the bucket. And sure, maybe in an ideal situation, this guy would instinctively just grab a bucket. But then you're missing the point of the story. Because the point of the story is to simply act. Because there's no such thing as right and wrong action. Anyways, that's that's probably a story for... Uh, you can use that in multiple different discussions. But spin more than one hypothesis. Always look to figure out more and more about what you're trying to look into. And some of these things take a very long time. I've been thinking about some of these things for 20 years. And my thoughts on these things have changed over that time, as they should, because these ideas evolve over time as you get more and more information. And of course, you can never make a perfect decision because ultimately, in order to make a perfect decision, you would have to have all the knowledge in the universe. You think that's stupid, but think about it for a second. Even the smallest action has an infinite number of effects and causes that got it to that place. That's why we always talk about there's no past, there's no future. There's only the present. There's no causation. The entire universe is one big event unfolding and evolving all at the same time. But as slices of this universe, we don't see these things. We see these things in a progression of time as things having cause and effect. Whereas they don't. They don't have, there's no cause, there's no effect, and there are no things. It's just an infinite ongoing event. Number five, try not to get overly attached to a hypothesis just because it's yours. It's only a way station if in pursuit of knowledge. I love this. I love this. This is actually one of the things that uh, that people try to attack like Graham Hancock on. And I bring him up because I love Graham Hancock. I love his books. I don't agree 100% with everything he, he says, but I shouldn't be expected to. And you know what? To be honest, neither does Graham. Because one of the things that uh, the skeptics were trying to bring about with him is uh, some of the ideas he had in his first book. Which one was that? The Fingerprints of the Gods was the first one? I think that's right. There's some things he said on there that he no longer agrees with. And he's very, very public about it. 
that he doesn't agree with it. But the skeptics were like, oh, well, this guy believes in this, that, and the other. And in his new book, he says this other thing that refutes that argument. And Graham's argument to that, of course, is, well, of course. Why should I be expected to have the same argument I had 15, 20 years ago? It's preposterous. Of course it is. Just because an idea that you come up with is yours doesn't make it true. I mean, for one, it's probably not even yours anyway. The only way to, for us to, to truly determine that an idea is unique and original to yourself is if you were raised on some desert island with no human contact from anybody else. But then how would you survive? I mean, I guess maybe you could be raised by wolves, right? You can be like Romulus and Remus, raised by wolves. But then you'd have some perspective imbued upon you by whatever worldview the, the wolves have. So maybe that wouldn't necessarily be true. I don't know. See, this is why you get into these thought experiments and why you should have these thought experiments within yourself. You should meditate on them, contemplate on them. Don't get too attached to a particular idea. Whether it's yours or not is irrelevant. Don't get attached to them. Ideas change. People change. You're not the same person. Physically, literally, you're not even the same person you were seven years ago, right? All of the, all of the cells in your body change every seven years. That's a fact. Look it up. I'm not making this up. So always look at your ideas and compare it to alternatives. Figuring out if they're true or not, whether yours or not. And again, people change. Conditions in the world change. Universe is always changing. Right? What's the Buddhist quote? The only thing that remains constant is change. Number six, quantify. So this is a little bit when we get into the scientific method. If whatever it is you're explaining has some measure, some numerical quantity attached to it, you'll be better able to determine among competing hypotheses. What is vague and quantitative is open to many explanations. Of course, there are truths to be sought in the many qualitative issues we are obliged to confront, but finding them is more challenging. So this is kind of where you get a little bit better into uh, explaining material truths as opposed to spiritual truths, because it's a little bit harder to quantify spiritual truths in a sense. But I've been saying this for a while. It doesn't make them any less real objects. Right? Because objects are simply things that have qualities that we can be that can be examined. And mystical experience, spiritual experience, spiritual knowledge, spiritual truth, all these things can be objectified, can be analyzed. The problem is how we analyze this across different people to generate a consensus. That's what we cannot do because each of our consciousnesses is separate and the world we create around us is simply formed by the overlap of these consciousnesses. And as part of this argument, you have number seven. If there's a chain of argument, every link in the chain must work, including the premise, not just most of them. So this is important. When you come up with an idea, every part of the idea has to make sense and has to be true. If any part of it is not true, then the whole argument is not true. It makes perfect sense. Because you can't explain a truth with a falsehood. Now this is, of course, going to get into some of the, uh, the philosophical fallacies that we'll discuss in a later part of the series. Because you can easily explain some of these things with philosophical fallacies. And so you can make something that's false appear true. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit about how there's no way to prove anything to be true. You can only prove something to be false. Number eight, Occam's Razor. I love this one because everyone quotes Occam's Razor. Nobody knows what the hell it means. Number eight, Occam's Razor. When faced with two hypotheses that explain the data equally well, choose the simpler. Now, this is a problem because the way that it's explained makes Occam's Razor a little different. And we're going to talk a little bit about Occam's Razor 
in that philosophical fallacies episode a little bit more. But this is kind of a, a good basis for looking at things, I would say. So I, I agree with that part. But the question is, what makes the hypothesis that explains the data equally well simpler? What, what makes that simpler? I see this a lot in, uh, you know, when people bring up like ancient aliens, for example, talking about the pyramids. For some people, the simplest answer is, well, people just built it. And for some people, the answer is, well, the simpler answer is that aliens built it. Now, how can that be that both people think that the simplest answer is the opposite of what the other one thinks? Because the people that think that humans built it, it would require them building cranes and, you know, large levers, maybe having the invention of the wheel or some sort of mechanism to, to slide huge multi-ton rocks across desert sand for tens or hundreds of miles. And of course, when you start thinking about it that way, it seems much easier that just, you know, an alien ship came down and did some teleportation thing and teleported it to, in place. Or maybe that's what the priests did. They, they used their staffs to, to teleport rocks into place. I mean, I would agree the teleporting <laughs> or just imagining the, the pyramid to, to be is a much simpler explanation than people building whatever tools they had to build to move them. So is the simpler explanation always the right explanation? Sometimes, but not always. Because, yeah, I would say just moving the rock with your mind is much simpler than building all these tools. Or an alien coming down and doing it, or whatever. Whatever idea you have. So be a little weary with Occam's razor. But it does generally work. And the reason is we always just, we just want things to be simple. And this is part of the problem I have with Occam's razor, is that the world isn't just simple. By thinking that things are always so simple, we come into these fallacies that lead us down weird paths, man. I always think about uh, you know, how, how, we're, how we got to the place where we're in socially, politically, right? How is it that everyone just gets so easily offended by anything, right? You, you can't say gay anymore. You, you can't say uh, what else? I don't know. What, whatever. There's, there's a gazillion things that people get mad about if you use specific words. Okay? And the problem is, how did we get here when, you know, I remember growing up, we didn't get offended by anything. You call each other names all the time. It didn't mean anything. It's just a name. Kids be picking on kids. You, if you won, great. If you lost, well, that sucks. We'll try harder next time. Now everyone just gets participation trophies. And so now everyone just thinks they're entitled to, to bullshit. You know, that, that's, that's the core. That's the real conspiracy is all this identity politics. We focus so much on a specific aspect of our identity. It's all bullshit. It's all imagination. The only identity we have is human beings. Don't give a shit if you're black or white or Chinese or gay or straight or trans or green or purple. You're from Mars. You're from Venus. I don't care. You, sh you shouldn't either. Because when you get bogged down by these identity politics, you just ugh, you make things so complicated for no reason. Anyways, we'll talk about that at length at some point. And finally, always ask whether the hypothesis can, at least in principle, be falsified. Now, I just, yeah, just a few minutes ago said that the only thing you can do is falsify things. You can't prove things to be true. So by extension, I mean, maybe this point is kind of irrelevant. But the point is not so much proving something to be false or not, but being able to test it in some way, to, to find a way that we can prove it to be false. 
And this goes along very much with the idea that I've been talking about for a very long time about when when do we justify that enough is enough? When is enough turtles enough? Is it enough to have just the, the elephants floating on that one turtle? Maybe we need this bigger turtle for the turtle to be on. But how many turtles do we need? And this is true here as well with the universe. We have you know, molecules and they're made out of you know elements and the elements are made out of subatomic particles and they're made out of smaller subatomic particles and they have smaller subatomic particles. At what point is, is it enough? At what point do we quit wasting resources creating larger and larger instruments to find smaller and smaller things? And the same for the other way around. What's to say that our entire universe is not just an electron or a proton or a neutron in a molecule consisting of multiple universes, creating a being of billions and billions of molecules created out of billions and billions of universes? I mean, you can go either way. Can you ever prove any of these things? No, because the more you look, the more turtles you will find. So this is important to look at. And I wanted to do this topic because the thing we often forget is that being skeptical is not a bad thing. Being skeptical is not bad. We, we're raised in a, in a way to, to have faith on something, to just purely believe in something and just assume it to be true. But if we do that, you have multiple problems. Number one, you don't have authority. You don't have your own power. You're not in charge of your own life. You're just a slave to somebody else. Because you don't have your own ideas. You have somebody else's ideas. And is that considered free? I mean, this is especially true in America, right? We're supposed to be the, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Is that true? Are you free? Are you brave? Are you willing to do what it takes to be free and brave? Most people aren't. That's why we continue to do the same thing on a day-to-day -day basis. If we don't look at other opinions, we have no progress. Now, the idea of progress for some is bad. For some, it's great. I would argue it's the natural state of things. The world, the universe, you yourself constantly evolving and to want to remain the same is not a natural thing. God, I hate using that term. Ugh. But the, the natural state of things is to continue changing, always changing. So why do you always want to stay the same? If you always have the same opinion, you are always the same. How boring. How boring to live your life always the same. Don't you want to dance? Don't you want to experience the joy of life? I guess not. I guess you just I guess you just want to sit there and watch it go by. It's too hot. I don't want to go outside. It's too hot to dance. All right. Well, yeah. Just sit comfortably in the air conditioning and watch the clouds go by outside. I guess that's your dance. Maybe you're more of a, a waltz person instead of a I don't know, what's what's it called? What's it like a samba? <laughs> Something like that. Skeptics are it's important to be skeptic, not just within yourself. It's important to have skeptics. And of course, the problem ends up being not that there are skeptics, but that we get so bogged down by our own self-grandiose self-importance, by our ego. Here we are, back to the same thing we always talk about. Because if we could get over this, having skeptical, critical arguments wouldn't be a problem. There would be no attacking people, right? There would be no this like attack on Grant Hancock, for example. because those people would be able to present an argument in a way that is not an attack on a particular person. And this is why I've redone this episode multiple times. And hopefully this is the last time that I redo this episode. Because I don't, I don't want to attack any particular person. 
The person is irrelevant. What we should be focusing on is these ideas, how we can implement them into ourselves, how we can choose to reject them, what makes an idea valid, what makes it invalid, and how can we constantly evolve ourselves. All right, I think we're going to wrap up this part one of uh, whatever we're going to call this series on finding the truth. We're going to wrap it up here. I will be back in a couple of days with uh, the next part in the Gnosticism series. Uh, I think we're going to be doing the hmm, – I haven't decided yet. I don't know yet. I I want to do some of the, the deep cosmology stuff, so we may be hitting in that direction. Uh, we might do with the Apocryphon of John. I don't know yet. But uh, I'll be doing a lot of reading, and uh, I'll I'll see what strikes my fancy the next time I record, and we'll, we'll go from there. But it will, we'll be going into the Sethian cosmology, so we'll talk about uh, how the universe came about according to the Gnostics and go into the emanations and, and the aspect of Sophia, which is very important not just to the Gnostics, but to much of the – we'll just call it the Greek world, I guess, the, the Western world uh, at that time and, uh, and previously because it influenced many, many generations. So we'll dive into that. And uh, then next week I'll come back and we'll do part two of this Finding Truth series, the uh, the Bullshit Detector series. So if you want to get in touch with me, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MindAlchemical. You can always email me, martin at thealchemicalmind.com. And uh, you can leave a voicemail. There's a link in the show notes for the episode that uh, will take you to a place where you can leave a voicemail. And I can play that on the podcast if you'd like. But that's going to be it for this one. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it gives you some things to think about until the next time we chat. As always, remember that you are it. It's